Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. In the Gospel of Luke, we have already seen the excitement that occurs whenever Jesus shows up. Elizabeth cries out with joy, and John the Baptist leaps in her womb when Mary arrives with Jesus in her womb. The shepherds on Christmas night glorify and praise God because Jesus is there. When, the, uh, when, when, when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, Simeon takes Jesus up in his arms, and he's giving thanks to God and praising God, and old Anna just won't stop telling anybody who will listen all about this Jesus who is the the one that God has said would come. The teachers of the temple, uh, when Jesus is 12 years old, when he's there in Jerusalem, they are amazed at Jesus. And following his baptism, in which God the Father declares from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And following that first miracle at Cana in Galilee that we heard about last week, where Jesus performed that first miracle, or as John called it, first sign, right? Jesus now goes to other towns. And he's preaching in the synagogues, and he's performing more miracles, doing more signs. Verses 14 and 15 tell us, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report went out about him throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So now, this Jesus, whose fame is spreading like wildfire, returns home to Nazareth. And it says, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Just like we talked about with the children and children's message, this is a reminder for us that keeping the third commandment actually means being in God's house as a priority for us. It's always easy to come up with a reason to to skip, to do something else. Maybe you're busy with this or that, but... Where the word of God is read and taught is where Christians are to gather together. Now, it's interesting, that idea of a synagogue. We ask the children, right, do you you know what a synagogue is? No idea. How many people read the Bible and say the same thing, right? (laughs) What's a synagogue? No idea. Well, synagogues actually don't exist in the Old Testament. Uh, It's a later development that really comes about Primarily in that intertestamental period, they might have developed a little bit during the Babylonian captivity, but really they they developed during that time period between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And it was, uh, the the people of God are, are spread all over the place. And they set up these synagogues. Synagogue means to gather together. As places where people can gather together to hear the word of God read and taught. Actually, synagogues and churches, as we talked about, pretty similar. Synagogue means gather together. Church means also gathering together. Both of them come from Greek. And both of them have this idea of gathering together. 
And we gather around the word of God and we hear that word of God as it is then explained to us, as it is preached, as it is taught. In fact, a lot of the, the, the way in which we worship goes all the way back to the synagogues. The, they would have prayers and a creed and they would have singing of, of hymns, well, psalms, really. Uh, and they would have the reading of the word of God and the preaching of the word of God. Hey, that sounds awfully similar to what we do, doesn't it? Because it is awfully similar to what we do. So Jesus, the local boy, comes home. And you can imagine there was a lot of excitement, right? <laughs> this Jesus has been performing miracles. He's been packing the synagogue. So everybody's going to show up when they hear Jesus is home in Nazareth. You can imagine that that synagogue on that day was packed with people. They had heard of the signs and wonders he had done elsewhere. And now they thought, he's come here and he's going to do the same. Now, with great formality, the kind of formality with which these things were, were done, an appointed person would go and get the scroll and bring it to the person who was going to be reading it and then teaching it that given uh, day. Uh, of course, those scrolls were really, really valuable. You know, we have our Bibles, and you can go to the, <laughs> you can go to the Goodwill and pick up a Bible, Right? But in these days, a scroll was hand-copied, and to have a scroll of of Scripture, that would have been very expensive. So the the synagogue was a place where these scrolls would be kept and stored and uh, kept safe, and they would then just bring it out for these teachings to occur. So they go and they bring it out and they present it to Jesus. And he opens up the scroll. Remember, they didn't have books like we had. They used scrolls, so you'd unscroll it. And he begins to read. Now, very likely, uh, scholars think that the uh, synagogues followed a lectionary, kind of like what we do. There was an appointed reading for that given day. So he opens up and he begins to read from the prophet Isaiah. And we get a summary of that reading Uh, From Luke, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then with a proper care, he rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, and then he sits down. Okay, sitting down was the thing that the teacher did in those days. Probably everybody else was standing up. So you can be thankful that that's kind of swapped over time, right? You don't have to be up standing the whole time uh, while I sit comfortably in a nice chair. And Jesus begins to teach them. And Luke gives us a summary of the sermon. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That wasn't the full sermon. (laughs) There was more to it, but that's the summary of it. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, at this point, what should have happened was just an eruption of excitement and joy because, yes, the Messiah we've been waiting for is here. 
The one that Isaiah spoke of, who's going to set at liberty those who are in captivity, who's going to give sight to the blind, who's going to restore things to how they ought to be. He's here in our midst. Praise God. That should have been the, the, the reaction. They should have been like the shepherds and Simeon and Anna and all of those others who encountered Jesus previously. But because what, what, what Jesus was saying to them here is the words of the prophet Isaiah, they're being fulfilled right here in your midst as I speak them. Jesus is saying, I've been anointed with the Holy Spirit to proclaim good news to the poor, to set at liberty those captive to sin and Satan, to give literal sight to the blind, but also eyes of faith to those who are spiritually blind. I have come to set free all who are oppressed by sin and Satan. I've come to proclaim the time of God's favor has come. That last line in Isaiah, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor It really sounds an awful lot like what we have in the Old Testament period of the year of Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee is a really cool idea. The the way the uh, years were structured in the Old Testament, they would do seven years, right? Every seventh year, the land would be left fallow. You wouldn't work that land that seventh year. Well, every seventh seven years, so seven times seven, you get the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was a big deal because the year of Jubilee meant if you had sold your property because you had to do that in order to get by, that property was going to revert back to you. If you were a slave, you were set free. If you had debts, those debts were erased and done away with. The year of Jubilee was a great resetting of everything and a restoring of everything to how it should be. And Jesus is saying, now, I've come to erase your debts. I've come to set everything right. I've come to set you free. There should have been just eruption and excitement and joy, but instead, here's what happens. All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. They were like, oh yeah, he's, he's a really good preacher, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, some of these guys are really boring. This, he's pretty good, right? We saw him grow up and uh, nah, I, didn't, I didn't think he was going to be this good. That's, that's really good. But, but then they started saying, you know, isn't this Joseph's son? Who does he think he is? I mean, who is he to preach to us? Who is he to claim to be the one who is now going to set all things right? Who is he to claim to be the Messiah? So they assume they know Jesus because they saw him grow up and they assume he is the earthly child of Joseph. And they dismiss him. Now, it's interesting to see how Jesus handles this. He doesn't back down, and he doesn't simply give them what they want. And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, 
There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, where the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. See, they want Jesus to do signs and wonders for them. And quite frankly, they're, they're kind of ticked off at Jesus because he didn't start his ministry there with them. They are more important than some of those other towns, right? Shouldn't Jesus have really done big things for them in their midst? Why is he doing it elsewhere? But Jesus says, you remember how it went with Elijah? In the midst of all of that famine, God doesn't send Elijah to a, a, a household in Israel, but to a woman in Zarephath, in Sidon, not Israel. You remember how it went with Elisha? Naaman comes to Elisha looking for help. Naaman is from Syria. Not only that, Naaman is a military man from Syria, and he only hears that there might be help in Israel because a a little girl who's been taken captive by the Syrian army tells him about this. And he comes, and he gets help. He's told, go wash yourself in the the Jordan River seven times. Your your health is going to be restored. He does. It is. And Jesus says, none of the other lepers in Israel received that. The people of Nazareth become angry with Jesus because their pride is hurt. Aren't we the important ones? After all, we've known Jesus the longest. And Jesus is saying, actually, you're not any more important than anybody else. Now, how is the message received? (laughs) Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and says, see, there's these others example, other examples. This is how God works. Do they, do they respond with repentance? Do they say, well, thanks be to God that the Messiah has come and already helped others. And now he's come so that we might believe in him. And, and we will also be set free. And we will also be restored. And we will receive these blessings from the Lord. Well, No. <laughs> His message is instead met with rage. They get up and they drive him out of the synagogue and they take him to the, uh, to the, the cliff where they want to throw him off the cliff. Now, I've had some people not like my sermons before, but I have never experienced having the entire congregation rise up, drive me out of the church, and want to throw me off a cliff. But I guess that's goals, right? Maybe. Uh, this is the, the response that they have. This Jesus whom they had known since he was a child, they are now ready to kill because he is not who they thought he should be and he's not doing what they thought he should do. I have to wonder if this event was on the mind of Jesus later on in his ministry when John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to Jesus. You remember how this goes? John the Baptist is in prison. And he sends some of his disciples to Jesus with a question. What was the question? Are you the one who is to come? 
or should we look for another? Because John is in prison, and it certainly doesn't look like he's being set free, right? If Jesus is the one who has come to set captives free, what's John doing in prison? Jesus is out there healing and giving sight to the blind and, and doing all of these other things, but, but what about John? And here's what happens. They ask the question, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of their diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. See, the people in Nazareth were offended by Jesus, weren't they? They were offended by Jesus because he wasn't doing what they thought he should do. There's an awful lot we can take from this text, but... I think the big thing is this. Jesus comes to set prisoners free, to help those in bondage to sin and Satan. And sometimes he gives immediate help, right? You've heard of these miraculous healings that do take place from time to time where somebody is sick with cancer. They pray for healing and they receive full restoration of health out of nowhere in the medical community. Just can't really explain it. It happens, And then you have a faithful Christian who has cancer and they are praying for healing and they don't get it. And you say, well, what's up with that? Sometimes somebody is struggling with a given sin and they come to faith in Christ and they are set free from bondage to that particular sin. They don't even struggle with that one thing anymore. And there's other times where somebody comes to faith, but they continue to struggle. You and I probably uh, have this experience pounding our head against the wall, struggling against a given sin. And it's not just instant victory. Sometimes the Lord gives immediate help and restoration. Sometimes not. And we don't know why. (laughs) But if we look to Jesus, we can know this. Jesus has come to set us free. He's come to restore all things, and he will. Maybe we receive that in part in this life, and maybe it's something that only comes in the resurrection. But when others do receive this blessing, instead of being like the people in Nazareth and saying, well, but what about me? When others do receive such a blessing, we rejoice with them. We give thanks to God for them, and we anticipate, wow, what God has done for them, he's going to do for me in the long run. I will receive full healing because Jesus has come to set me free, and in him I have that healing. In God's time, it comes. Maybe in this life, maybe not until the resurrection, but it will come. Because Jesus is the one whom God has sent to proclaim good news to the poor, to set captives free, to give sight to the blind, to proclaim to us. It's the time of God's favor. And really, we live in the year of God's favor. We live in the year of Jubilee. We come to church every Sunday, and what does God say? 
Your debts are gone. Your sins are forgiven. You don't have to worry about that any longer. You are restored. And every time we come, it's the same thing. Your sins are forgiven. Your debts are gone. You are restored. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we live in the year of Jubilee, in the time of God's favor. In Jesus, our debts are paid in full. Our sins are forgiven. And restoration, well, it might happen right now. Or it might happen in eternity, but it will happen. Because in Jesus, we are set free. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, may the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.